Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Color of Teaching. My name is Jesse Martinez, and I'm your host. I'm a seventh grade science, social studies, and Spanish immersion teacher in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And today we have an exciting episode. Uh, later on in the episode, Dr. Manuel Rustin from Pasadena, California, a high school social studies teacher, is going to be joining me. He is also the author of an article that's been floating around the education world over the past month or so called Give Them All A's. Uh, and I don't want to dig in too much to this article because in just a few minutes, we're going to have Dr. Rustin on the podcast so I can have a conversation with him about what he wrote about. But I do want to take a few minutes um, and talk about the kind of the highlights of this article because when Ingrid Henry from Milwaukee shared this with me a few weeks back, it really made me start thinking about how I was grading in my own classes right now. And it really shifted my perspective on what we should be doing to help students out during the time that our schools are shut down. Um, one of the things that really shifted for me was the equity surrounding pass-fail versus giving students an A. And you know, for a while I was like, yeah, students need to at least show that they can engage a little bit. I don't necessarily need the same level of work from them or anything, but they need to be engaging with me a little bit um, in order to get a pass. And, and it, the more that I think about that and the more I reflect on what Dr. Rustin wrote about, how could we fail any kid? Because we don't know what their circumstances are like at home. So how could we, in good conscience, give any kid an F? I just, I, I don't see how we could do it. Um, the other, the other facet of this that, that really sparked me and, and made me start reconsidering how I think we should be grading during this time was, uh, Dr. Rustin's point that we never taught students how to do this, right? We never taught them how to take our classes from their living room, right? We never taught them how to connect to their hotspot at home or connect to their Wi-Fi at home, log on to Google Classroom, and learn virtually, right? We may have taught them how to use Google Classroom in our classes, but we never taught them how to learn the material from home. And so how can we grade them on that? I don't think we can. Um, the last point that he makes in this article that really stood out to me was that technology is not going to be our savior, right? Not all students, even if they do, even if every single student has access to a device, right? Every student has a Chromebook or an iPad or a tablet or a computer of some sort that they can log on and see our materials and they have Wi-Fi. Even if every student has that access, which we know they don't, um, not all students have the privilege of spending productive time on that device. Um, not all students can sit down and focus for however many minutes or hours a day we expect them to sit down and focus on that device because maybe they have a learning disability that prevents them from doing that. Maybe they're in charge of their younger siblings during this time. Maybe they have to help cook lunch. We don't know what their pandemic experience is. So how can we possibly give them a grade if we know that what we're grading is basically their privilege? Uh, I just, I'm so excited to dig in with Dr. Rustin into some of these questions and into some of these ideas later on in the episode. So buckle up and get ready because it's going to be a great conversation today. And I hope you all will enjoy my conversation with Dr. Rustin. 
Before we really get into the meat of this episode and the interview with Dr. Rustin, I reached out and I asked some of my incredible colleagues across the state of Wisconsin to send me some voice messages. This week, I asked them to tell me something that they've learned about themselves, something they've learned about teaching and educating and teaching and learning during this time or anything else during the pandemic. Uh, I want to tell y'all, I want to start by sharing a little bit myself. I have really, really learned the value of patience during this pandemic. We all know this is not best practice, right? Teaching from home is not our best practice, and it has been incredibly frustrating for all of us. Right now, we're in survival mode, right? We all practice patience every single day within the walls of our classroom. We have to. It's part of the job. It's almost a job requirement, right? But I have to tell you, I have learned how to be even more patient and be extra patient, though not always, with both my students and my colleagues, right? Because we're all learning as we go here. So I have learned how to really take some deep breaths and take a step back and and be patient with my students and with my colleagues as we all work through this. Without further ado, I'm just going to step aside here and I'm going to let some other educators from across the state of Wisconsin share with you what they've learned about during this time that we have been away from our classrooms. First, Gretchen Kubney from the Green Bay Education Association. A couple positives that I've experienced within this whole distance learning, distance teaching experience is that... I've had to learn a lot of new technology in a very short amount of time, and it's been fun. Along with that, being a special ed teacher, I've had to learn to hold virtual IEP meetings. Parents seem to really engage more. They feel more relaxed within their own home holding these meetings. Students have enjoyed and participated. So those are two great experiences I've had. Hello, my name is Michelle M. Powell, and I am the academic interventionist from Southern Bluffs Elementary School. At the end of this school year, I'll have worked in the school district of La Crosse for 10 years. Nine of my years were spent laying the foundation in kindergarten, and now this year I started to grow vertically in working with students and staff kindergarten through fifth grade. One positive professional thing I've learned during COVID is how to create a website to house resources for students, families, and staff. On this website, I have a tab for each grade level, pre-K through fifth grade, and an additional smart tab that provides information and resources on how our bodies and brains work together. Creating this initial website was quick because we all have district Google accounts This is a feature that they provide. If you need any help creating a website or need support with your existing website, feel free to contact me or another LEA tech expert. Have a wonderful day. My name is Angelina Cruz. I'm a proud public school teacher and the president of my local union, Racine Educators United, which is the Racine Education Association and the Racine Educational Assistance Association. Although our school buildings have closed, our educators continue to go to extraordinary lengths to meet the needs of every student in the district. 
And then there are those who go above and beyond even that to organize and win the schools our students deserve. On April 7th, the very survival of our school district was on the ballot with the largest referendum in the history of the state of Wisconsin. And despite the voter suppression efforts of the opposition, it was the hard work and solidarity of REA, REAA members that won the referendum that day by five votes. My name is Molly Walsh Anderson. I'm a third grade teacher in Madison. I'm a leader um, in MTI and also the chair of the WEAC Wisconsin Early Career Educator Committee. Something I've learned during this time of virtual learning is truly how important relationships with students and families are and how key building those relationships are um, is to what we're doing right now. Um, I've always worked very hard on creating relationships, building relationships and building trust between students and families during um, when we were in person before COVID, but now in this new time of virtual learning, these relationships have really allowed me to engage with students and families at a deeper level um, and that trust, which has been there throughout this year and been built through this year, um, has really made this virtual learning time as hard as it is, as best as it can be um, with our circumstances. Without this trust, without this relationships, we have not been, we would not be able to try to have some sort of normalcy and continue some of the routines that we've done in the classroom. And it's allowed me to really make sure that my students and families are okay and getting what they need during this time. Transitioning to remote learning has been an adjustment for my students and for me. I do think that we were able to manage it with the level of grace and the ability to maintain high expectations and results. My name is Nathan Ugaritz. I'm a high school social studies teacher and the president of WEAC Region 3. One of the positive things that I learned about education was that students are incredibly adaptable. Now that doesn't mean that they didn't run into problems or barriers at times. However, when I noticed a student was struggling and I reached out with the offer to create a solution, they proved to be very willing and active participants in creating these solutions. Oftentimes, these students simply just needed the tools or skills necessary to be successful. One of the most important tools that they needed was just a little help with their executive functioning, figuring out how to create a schedule, figuring out how to check things off when they've completed them, figuring out a way to prioritize all the different tasks that they had, but by working with them and helping to give them those tools, um, they proved what students continually show, which is that they are capable, they are adaptable, they are strong. They just need a little help along the way. Hey, Jesse, thanks for giving me the opportunity to offer my perspective. My name is Gail Cablo, and I am an education support professional. That is to say, my role as an educator in the South Milwaukee School District is as an administrative assistant at the high school. I also serve as a coordinator for the high school marching band. In addition to all of that, I serve as the president of the local secretarial union as the Region 7 treasurer and as a current education support professional rep on the WEAC State Board of Directors. So you asked me to reflect on something positive I've learned about myself and or educating during the school shutdown. I think you can probably tell by my introduction, I'm always super busy, and I think it's safe to say that a majority of my time these days is advocating for members more than ever before. 
But I think the most positive thing that I have learned through all of this is literally just to take the time to slow down. While my daily work is less hectic, no more morning rushes, setting up substitutes, coordinating field trips, or working with the spring athletic coaches and students, Wow, that's a lot of multitasking. I'm actually taking the time to clean out my files and close things down for the school year at a pace much slower than my usual breakneck speed. And I'm actually taking breaks. Well, the cat is making me take them, but still, breaks nonetheless. And like the classroom teachers, I've had to get very creative in finding ways to use new technologies and new approaches to reach out on a broader scale for marching band recruiting for next year. I mean, seriously, how do you recruit people to join a group for next year when you don't know when you can start or even if you will have a marching season? And you have to recruit online with people you don't know. And while I've always thought of myself as being pretty savvy with technology, I've got nothing on today's students. So I've learned how to learn from the students more in the last few weeks. We are not always as in control as we'd like to think we are, and really, that's okay. Love the podcast, Jesse. Stay colorful. All right. So next on the podcast today, we have Dr. Manuel Rustin. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm a high school history teacher. I teach in Pasadena, which is just north of Los Angeles. Um, I'm at the alma mater of Jackie Robinson and Octavia Butler, uh, but Pasadena is better known for the Rose Bowl. But in any case, <laughs> this is year 16 in the classroom. Well, of course, not in the classroom anymore, but um, right. year 16 as a classroom teacher. Awesome. So um, the reason that I asked you, and I'm super excited that you agreed to come on today, uh, my good friend from Milwaukee, Ingrid Henry, shared your article about giving students A's and, that it, and, and how you talked about how that is what students deserve during the time that we're away from our classrooms and we're trying to engage in remote learning. Um, but before we really kind of dig into that conversation, um, I just want to I, I want to ask you what are your current grading processes like in the school that you're teaching in right now? Yeah, so um, our school, you know, like most schools, it took a little while for there to be a clear policy set regarding grades. Um, so I doubt, you know, we use traditionally just regular. I don't. Know, we use Aries. I don't know it's just a traditional learning yeah. management system, and um, so I downloaded copies of my grade book before we left just in case I needed like the record before the world right. fell apart or whatever right and um and basically early on I realized like you know as the situation unfolded not all my students are going to be able to tap in for distance learning work so I'm not going to decrease their grades and then eventually the district came out and said yeah no the grades can't be any lower than they were that day that we closed and then they came out and said we couldn't have any f's or d's and the D is negotiable. You can still issue a D if you want, um, but you have to have like a, a whole bunch of um, a documentation that you did everything you could as a teacher or whatever, whatever. So, okay. so yeah, that's pretty much what our practices are generally at the school. We have the freedom to do what we want as long as it's not lower than March 14th grade report. Oh, okay. That's, that sounds like an incredible system. Um, was there, when you guys went to that grading system, did you, as educators, have a lot of voice in, in how that policy was shaped? No, we didn't. To my knowledge, we didn't have any voice. Um, I'm not opposed to the policy. Um, right, right. But yeah, a lot of teachers are opposed to it, actually. And okay. it kind of just showed up in 
a memo or whatever. There was some meeting with administrators across the district about it. To my knowledge, there weren't any teachers in that meeting. Um, certainly our union wasn't in that meeting, um, but the union did have an MOU with the district that ultimately it's up to individual teacher discretion, sure. generally speaking, if a teacher wanted to um, you know, issue whatever sure. type of grades they want. So I don't know how that reconciles with they can't get any Fs. But yeah. in any case, yeah, we didn't really have much input in that. Okay, awesome. Um, so did you, so your article, Give Them All A's, has become, I, I mean, I saw it when my friend shared it with me, and then it's kind of been popping up all over the place, um, at least in, in my timeline, which is, it's been awesome to see it. Um, did you write that article before or after your district came out with your grading policy? Before. Um, you wrote before. Yeah, I wrote that before. And actually, it's interesting because when the district finally had time to fully assemble a remote learning plan going forward, because um, I wrote the article pretty early in the distance learning experiments, sure. um, by the time the district put together its plan, they did link my article in there. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, they had a bullet point that said, consider the perspective of this uh, Pasadena teacher, and the link was there. So it wasn't an endorsement, but for them to include it there tells me that people at the district agreed with that sentiment, right. even if they weren't going to come out and just fully endorse it. Well, I mean, even if even if there wasn't as much teacher voice in the in the process as maybe there could have been, they were looking at your article. They were looking at yeah. what other teachers thought, right? So that's that's oh, yeah. huge. Um, and so when you were writing that article. Um, I noticed you mentioned, uh, I can't remember the other gentleman's name. Leo Glazé. Yes, Leo. Um, you mentioned him in the article. And I'm wondering if you can explain why you got to a point where you thought that this was the best way to grade students during a pandemic. Sure, sure. So it only took a few days of distance learning for me to realize not all my students would be able to fully engage, even though, even ones with internet and devices. So I think technology gets more of the focus about engagement for distance learning, but it's, even with technology, um, the circumstances of a particular household might not uh, make for effective distance learning engagement. So I realized early on, so then as each day passed and I saw other teachers in other districts and other states also struggling, I realized that this is just an impossible ask for us to like continue business as usual and then have a grade book that's business as usual. So early on, I was like, okay, it's gotta just be extra credit, like the stuff I give my students will just be extra credit. But then it just bugged me that certain students that I know are really strong and really um, had high hopes for the year, couldn't get the extra credit because whatever, they're working full time to support their family who got laid off or whatever their circumstance is. So it's like, that doesn't seem fair. So early on, then I was like, okay, pass, no pass. But then the city I teach in fully one third of the schools, exactly one third of the schools in the city are private schools. So, you know, if my students got pass, no pass, then it, it becomes like a public school pass, whereas the private schools, you know, keep getting sure. their A's and B's or whatever. So I didn't want my students to be disadvantaged in terms of applying for internships and, sure. and jobs and stuff like that around the city. So, you know, having Leo Glazé, he's a teacher, he's a middle school teacher. His, his school is a private school and they don't give grades at his grade level period. They just do narrative, which is great. Mm. But he mm -hmm. said, if I did have to give grades, I'd give them all A's because that's the easiest way to make sure none of them on their records like slip behind sure. other students in the city or in the state um, during this time. 
And that just really resonated with me. And I thought about it, I molded over and I gathered my thoughts. And then I decided to write it out in the form of that, that essay that you uh, referred to. And, um, and I guess that resonated with a lot of folks, you know, it's just, um, this is a mess of a time. And it's one semester. Why, why can't we just give them this one symbolic gesture right. of love on the grade book and then get back to, you know, whatever the future might be next school year. Absolutely. Um, and, and as much positive um, reaction as I've seen to your article and, mm -hmm. and that I personally had to your article, I have see, also seen a few people come back and, and even like message me personally after I shared it. And I even wrote a blog post talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and some people messaged me and were like, how could you advocate for this when it's basically going to be giving them participation trophies? What would your response to someone saying that be? Yeah, the meritocracy is really strong in a lot of people. This idea that grades reflect effort and work and diligence. And um, I would say, well, several things. First of all, um, you know, it's not a participation trophy. And even if it was, this is a pandemic. I've had students who have lost family members. Yes. Maybe participation is like good enough for the pandemic, but that put that just all the way aside. Right. Um, the second thing would be like, you know, we don't really make those critiques when it comes to stimulus checks. We don't make those critiques when it comes to, I don't know what they're doing in your district, but it was pretty clear out here that there weren't going to be teacher evaluations for this period. Why not? Because it's not fair. Like, why should teachers be evaluated on right. the permanent record about this type of learning that they were never trained in? Okay, but we got it. We're going to evaluate students. Like, that doesn't right. make sense. We give ourselves all the grace in the world, but we don't extend the same to students. Right. Um, this is no time for pull yourself up by the bootstraps. People, people are dying and not everyone is, but then there's the unemployment. And in the face of all that, there's just the anxiety of like being stripped away from your school without our kids didn't even empty out their lockers. Like they went right. home thinking they'd be back and they never came back. So how, who am I to like try to say, oh yeah, your, your ability to achieve in the pandemic is like C minus level your ability is B plus level. Like right. I'm not, I'm not here to grade someone's response to a pandemic. I wasn't trained for that. Right. And um, I, I like that you bring up the teacher evaluation portion of this because in, in Wisconsin, what's happened is we've gone to a system of um, our educator effectiveness basically this year was like, you know what, if you and your principal or your administrator want to work out whatever you need to work out with your educator effectiveness, you can decide to roll it to next year. You can decide to go off of what you've already done. That's great. And, and I've said to people, like, if we're, if we're doing that as teachers, why aren't we doing that for our students? Exactly. Why aren't we giving them their input into their own grade? Why aren't we allowing them to, to either get their A and move on? Because that's what we're doing for ourselves, right? Right. We're giving ourselves the A and moving on to next year and just and the full salary and exactly, everything. exactly. So why why can't we have that same grace with our students? And um I think that that also transitions a little bit into um my my district has gone to complete pass fail. Um and basically they've made it incredibly hard to give a student a fail, which I'm totally on board with. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. But why how would you explain to someone who doesn't understand the nuances of grading, how sure. would you explain the difference between a pass fail system and giving a student an A? How does that affect maybe more, more so at the high school level, it doesn't affect grades as right. much at the middle school level. Um, there's still an effect there, but how would you explain that at the high school level? 
right? Well, the same argument about participation trophies for the all A's, that still applies to pass fail, whether sure. people realize it or not, like just giving almost everyone a pass, then you're not rewarding the super, super high achiever that had 103% in right. whatever class. So you're doing the same. So that argument still applies. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're instead doing is you're, you're acknowledging that you're not going to recognize students for quote unquote hard work. You're going to give them all the same letter on their, on their grade sheet, but you are going to let students outside of your public school system, um, whether it be independent schools, whether it be private schools, whether it be other districts outside of state students that eventually are going to compete against your students for college spots and jobs and all that. You're allowing them to have their inflated grades because we know private schools are largely sticking to letter grades and many of them are getting A's and B's and many of those students are economically secure enough to go ahead and keep engaging fully with online. So Mm -hmm. you're setting your students up now to, even if, I don't know your college system, but out here the University of California college system has said that they won't hold pass fail against someone's GPA, but if you do traditional letter grades, that will count. So now you're allowing those with inflated grades to go ahead and get that GPA boost for college and the other students are still stuck with a pass. So if you're gonna give everyone a pass, might as well be bold and add a symbol of love and support and compassion and protection against them being harmed for that past down the line in the future. Protection and love comes in the form of an A. No other private school kid is gonna get further than your students because of that academic record. And your students are gonna feel that A in a way that they not gonna feel the past. Oh, that is the perfect, that that was the perfect description because Um, I think people don't quite realize how much that can affect a GPA if you give a student an A, especially, I mean, you think about students who maybe were killing it before this happened. And now, like, like you've, you've mentioned in your article, like, we haven't prepared them to take our classes from our living rooms, right? Or from their living rooms. And so, um, how can we grade them on that? And, And by giving them that A that they more than likely would have earned anyways why why would we take that away from them now um something else that you mentioned that i wanted to to ask you about is um you mentioned that having access to a device in your district is not necessarily the issue um because students have access to devices right um we have one-to-one for our middle schoolers as well which is great um we don't necessarily we have a lot of students who don't have access to internet but all of that aside, say it was a perfect world where every student had a device and every student had internet, um, just handing them an iPad and calling it equity isn't enough. Uh, and, and why would you say that that's not quite enough? Um, right, because for one, the conditions of a household. So I have one student in particular who's a senior that I continue to think about when, when thinking about this. His household has so many other little brothers and sisters and cousins who also have their devices for their school. And they they... their internet just does not work with so many devices. So that's one. But um, additionally, you know, as a teacher, I've always felt that like when I play movies or videos in class that I got to like be ready for when the administrator walks in because like the assumption is simply playing something and sitting back isn't engaging instruction and isn't how students learn. Yet here we are now rushing to, here's a device. I want you to watch this Khan Academy video and figure it out and do this assignment and get it back to me. We know that doesn't fly in person, at least not as like the the whole of instruction. So like even learning by via online instruction, it doesn't produce the same results as as in person. 
And when you take out the like engagement factor or my ability to like tap a kid on the shoulder and like get them back on track, when you remove that from the equation, then it's even more difficult to really say that all students could really engage in this in an effective way, in a way that's like still producing actual learning. You could do stuff to, you know, try to get compliance and like kids submitting stuff, but did they learn anything off of that? It's really difficult. None of us were trained in that. I wasn't right. trained in that. So I, like, yeah. Let's, let's stop pretending that like just me putting it online makes it the same as me delivering it in person. It's not the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and my hope is that eventually we'll be able to transition back to some sort of face-to-face -face instruction by next fall. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know what it's looking like in California. I know um, our governor just loosened some of the, the restrictions here and started letting some stores open up and have like five people at a time inside. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be some sort of face-to-face -face instruction coming up in the fall. But during this time, we've noticed and, and, and these equity issues that have come up for our students during distance learning seem to be like a magnifying glass on what we already knew existed in our yeah. education system beforehand. So as we begin to hopefully transition back to these face-to-face -face classes, what are some things you think we need to be doing as educators and as schools to address a lot of these issues? Yeah, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that like your content needs to be engaging it needs to represent students interest and students need to see themselves in it mm -hmm. and in class we kind of have a way of just using our our power our grade book and our just sheer presence in the class to mow on through whatever curriculum we have but now at home it's very easy for a student to not engage they could simply not look at the screen or not log in in the first place so for me um, as far as equity there is obviously a digital divide. There's obviously students access to you know, food and, and various forms of security, but there's also the inequities within the actual curriculum. Like how right. does this curriculum speak to certain populations of students and how am I as a teacher helping students see the value in this curriculum? And this experience, this distance learning experience has helped for me remember that like, I got to convince students that this is even worth their time and effort. And for it to be worth their time and effort, it has to be something that actually builds them up in some kind of way. And when we go back to the classroom, it's important not to forget that. It's important not to just be like, oh, we're back to it. Here's my grade book. Here's the class rules, you know, fall in line. Like, let's, let's keep in mind, and not that teachers all even have this in mind right now, but I think more do than usually, but let's keep in mind that like our curriculum needs to really be something that students feel yes. is worth their time and effort. Yes. And for educators that disagree with that, some will say, well, nope, it's school. They just got to get with the program. I got with the program. They got to do the same thing. I will say that the world has changed and nobody needs to get with anyone's program anymore. It's very easy for you to just find your own path yes. um, as it may be. So our job is to love students and build them up. So we need yes. to keep that in mind when we go back to the school building. Awesome. And the very last thing I want to ask you, sure. um, I had a, several folks send me in some voice messages for this, for this week or for this month. Um, oh, and I asked them to send me some voice messages about what they've learned about themselves and as educators or personally during this process. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share something you've learned about yourself as an educator or just simply as a human being during the time that we've been away from our school buildings. Sure. Um, uh, I've learned so much, but one thing yeah. that I've, I've really come to learn is that 
um, the essence of teaching and learning is um, is built on the relationship between the teacher and the students. Yeah. Um, that we are preparing each other for a better future, a better um, existence, a better world. And when you remove that in-person connection, um, things things quickly fall apart. The the in-person connection, that that humanity, that that um, I guess just the relationship and you know teachers say that so much it's all about relationships that yeah. has become a bit of a cliche but I've learned that like there's even more power in that than I realized and I miss my students so much and they miss me so much I could tell yes. and it's like I'll get messages from students not work necessarily um, for various reasons of like Russ and I'm so sorry but this that whatever but like they're still contacting me because of that personal connection right and um yeah, I've, I've learned that that's even more powerful than I thought it was prior to this. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for talking to me and, and uh, giving up some time to come on and, and, and answer some of these questions. It's been wonderful chatting with you. For sure. Thank you for having me on. And I got to plug my show for anyone interested. Yes, this absolutely. This is kind of like where the whole thought process started when we sat down with Leo Glazé. Um, so youtube.com slash all of the above, all one word, all of the above. And I will um, make sure I actually followed that show when I was doing some research and I will make sure to share that out when I share this episode as well. Much appreciated. Thank you for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. No problem. So I just wanted to take a moment and say a special thank you to Dr. Rustin, who took time out of his day to talk with me about the important issue of grading and equity during our pandemic and about equity issues in general once we start heading back to school. And um, I'm not even going off of an outline for this part of the episode, and so forgive me if I get a little tangential, but one of the things that Dr. Rustin said that really resonated with me, and I really wanted to make sure I looped back and touched on, was that giving students an A during this time, or in, in the case of me in my district, giving students a pass, is, is not just a way to be equitable. It is a symbol of love for our students, and it is a way to show them that no matter what happens right now, we are here to support them no matter what. And one way that we can do that is to show them that we know that this is not normal, and we know that these are not typical classroom circumstances, and that there is no way for us to know what they are going through at home. And so a way to show them a symbol of our love and our support during this time is to give them that A or give them that P for pass because how can we grade what they're doing at home when we're not there to support them physically? I just, you know, over the past two, almost three months now, no, sorry, two months now, um, I just have really struggled with the idea of giving students an incomplete, even if there's students who have not engaged once I really struggle with giving them an incomplete because I know that if students were in my classroom at school, I would be able to sit with them and I would be able to first address maybe some of the issues that are bothering them and at least be a listening ear for them and then help them and modify for them in ways that I simply am not trained to do in an online format. And so showing them that love by giving them that pass or that A 
in this situation just seems like the only thing to do. And I will be the first one to admit to you all that I wasn't necessarily fully sold on the idea of giving all students A's or giving all students P's um, when I first read Dr. Rustin's article. But the more I read it and challenged myself to think about what this means and what this could do for our students, the more it made sense to me in my mind that I need to make sure that I'm doing every single thing that I can to make sure my students are first and foremost feeling cared for and feeling loved during this time. And again, I keep coming back to it and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but this is something I've come to really care about and really feel incredibly passionate about that we need to show our students we love them through this simple act of giving them an A or giving them a P. And I just want to thank Dr. Rustin for writing that article, for taking the time to talk to me about that article, and really challenging us as educators to think about our practices and how those practices are affecting our students. Um, So thank you, Dr. Rustin, because you've really helped me and I hope you've helped a lot of other people um, start to really think critically about our grading practices and how we're going to support students during this time. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Color of Teaching. Thank you so, so much to Gretchen, Michelle, Angelina, Molly, Nathan, and Gail for taking some time to send me voice messages for this episode. Thank you again to Dr. Rustin for taking the time to sit down and answer some questions and talk about grading with me. Uh, And thanks to all of you for taking the time this month to listen to The Color of Teaching. That'll do it for this week, and I hope to have you listen in again next month for the next episode of The Color of Teaching. Bye, everybody.